Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PR Moment Podcast, in the latest of our Life Stories series, I'm pleased to welcome CEO of Golden, John Hughes. As most of our listeners will be aware, Golden is a global PR firm. It is a fee income of about $240 million, so quite a big one. Um, although with Sarbanes-Oxley in mind, I'm sure John can neither confirm nor deny this number. John's been at Golan for about 14 years. He spent six years in the UK as co-managing director alongside Matt Neal, before moving to Hong Kong to head up their international business. He became CEO alongside Matt Neal and Gary Rudnick about two years ago. John, welcome to the Pearlman Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the invite. You used to work in IT sales, and you're now global CEO of a top 10 global PR firm. <laughs> That's quite a journey. Yeah, and not, not entirely an intentional one, uh, I think, like most. <laughs> You'd have preferred uh, IT re- sales, right? <laughs> no, I just, it's kind of one of those things where you, you, know, you, you, you start out and you just, you just go do what's in front of you. So I started... And like you say, IT sales, I, I did a kind of techie degree at university and, and I started in, in kind of sales. And I was kind of doing the, the technical sales, so, um, you know, persuading people why this particular piece of kit oh, was going to work and all that stuff. stuff. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I eventually, I, I just wasn't that great at it. I was actually better. Oh, really? at, yeah, I was just better at talking about the tech than necessarily kind of doing it and selling oh, okay. it. And so that kind of moved me you into... You can earn good dollar in IT sales though, can't you? I, mean, I know. I was just kind of I like the way things have gone. I kind of miss that boat each time, right? Um, you know, I don't worry about your bank account, John. <laughs> to be fair, but okay. uh, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that I just became, uh, you know, I, I was better at talking about it and I, uh, I moved into pre-sales and into marketing and then into 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 PR and and, okay. and I never looked back, honestly. But it wasn't a deliberate path. But, uh, but you, I mean, in essence, you you just you you got your head down once you got to a PR firm, enjoyed it. Yeah, got promoted, I was, uh, yeah, enjoyed I, it, worked hard, <laughs> got promoted. I mean, it's it's kind of it's been like that, hasn't it? It's never really been a. I mean, most people who come on the show say that it's that there wasn't really a a preordained path or a strategy to their career. It, it just kind of happened. Is that, is that the same for you? Or? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was in North Wales and doing the kind of the stuff we just talked about, and then, like I said, I decided, you know, I was seemed to be quite enjoying this public relations and media relations things as it really was then. So I just said, well, if I'm going to do this, I better do this properly. And the yeah. only option was to move to London. So that was a kind of, <clears throat> I didn't really have a job. I just upped sticks as you kind of could do, you know, yeah. th- that time of your life. And uh, I was sleeping on my. Um, auntie's uh, floor and uh, and and kind of commuting into London and and I managed to get a job at Ketchum and that was that was my start and and then I was just like okay here we go let's just let's just see where this takes me and and just briefly it was what, what's the the because you have that many jobs have you well not that many companies I should say it's been Ketchum no. Weber Shandwick and Golden yeah it was Ketchum then Miller Shandwick before it became yeah. Web, Weber yeah, yeah. but yeah effectively yeah. that was it was Omnicom then IPG with the it's two quite rare, you know, there's, so. uh, there's definitely a trend I think that the most senior people tend to not change jobs that much seems to me but, yeah, um, I, uh, yeah. Um, I can say that you may not want to comment. No, it's not. It's not. It's not that. It's but it, I. 
you know, I did change jobs within that oh, group. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah. so you kind of, yeah, you do yeah, freshen yeah, it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. one of the reasons that you, you tend to stay. I should say, I should add, change companies not much. Yeah, companies, yeah. it is yeah. it is kind of yeah. rare. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm not that inventive. So, um, now one of the uh, interesting themes that came out of our pre-show chat was, mm-hmm. was the numbers of PR royalty mates you seem to have. <laughs> um David Brain, Colin yeah. Byrne, yeah. Barry Legator, Tim Sutton, Bibby yeah. Hilton, of course, Zoe Stevenson, Andrew Block, David Gallagher, Richard Galton, Richard Helton, I should say, yeah. Al Golan, yeah. uh, and of course Matt Neal. It's quite a black book, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Fred Cook and Harris Diamond, two more I would throw yeah. in there, you know. <laughs> so now, a lot, I suppose a lot of them are Weber Shamwick, aren't they? So you kind of met them. Yeah, Weber Shamwick stroke Golan. So yeah, I mean, kind of, you've come across them. Andrew, um, I Andrew, I knew at Ketchum. Yeah. Um, he, you know, I, he, uh, I just started there just after um, Ketchum Life had been emerged in. Oh, sorry, Lynn Frank's whole operation emerged in there, and and he was he was great. He had this black book of media context to die for. Yeah, um, and then yes, still has. Yeah, still <laughs> has. <laughs> He's wicked smart at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and the rest have been kind of either through. IPG, obviously, David used to be my uh, boss. He then obviously went to Edelman for many years, hugely successful there. Harris was my <clears> – <throat> Harris Diamond was my boss now at McCann. Um, Richard Houghton was my was my first agency boss when we were back at Ketchum. Um, was he? But he came from Shandwick. So, I mean, it's a kind of a – I guess it, <clears throat> I've swum in a relatively small pond, you could say, if that's – I know Richard quite well. Like, is he, he, I suspect, always had this vision of him, quite, quite a calm boss. Was he, was... <clears throat> he was, although uh, our very first encounter with him, and I, I chatted to him about this recently, was um, he, he was our new MD and, and we had this meeting <laughs> and I think we all kind of trooped in like 10 minutes late, kind of really kind of... Oh, he wouldn't like that. He didn't like no. it, no. So he wasn't, he wasn't calm in that particular occasion. Right. Now tell me about your relationship with Matt Neal because... Um, well, I hadn't quite realised that you, you two didn't know each other that well before you came joined MDs of Golan. You obviously knew each other, yeah. But it wasn't. I, I just thought you sort of approached. I don't know whoever Colin Byrne at the time said, "Look, we we can take a problem and work off your hands here." But it didn't work like that, was it? Just no, just talk it was, us through how, how that happens. Kind of the opposite thing, really. Um, so in the early days, kind of just after you know, um, kind of Weber was formed and what have you, um, Matt and I were probably the only two in the whole of Weber Shandwick who are running kind of big global piece of, piece of business that weren't originating, weren't run out of the US. Okay. Matt was running Siemens, you know, obviously a big European firm, and I was running Oracle in EMEA at that stage, and which was a kind of had you, had you won them? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you, exactly. He'd so won you Siemens point out a number and, and say, look at, yeah. Well, yeah, not, not so much in, uh, uh, you know, I was part of the team in those days. It was Kathy Pittam and various okay. others. It was a big for gotcha. the Oracle thing. It was like a hold co almost sell. But point being, um, we were kind of on the the UK management team uh, with Colin. So we were kind of knew each other from various kind of board meetings and he was in uh, consumerising technology. And so when the, the, the Golan Harris, as it was then, opportunity came up um, and we kind of had, we were, you know, invited in to have a chat with Colin about this opportunity that he had. We, they were done kind of individually, like we had these ones. <laughs> and it was a fairly small universe, you know. You kind of know who's of a similar level. So I forget what – I can't remember if I called Matt or he, he called me, but a, a, a quick internal call went. And, and, it, and it was like, did you just have the uh, the chat with Colin? And he said, yeah. And, um, and but you he said – You didn't know, but you would have known there might have been a few external candidates. I mean, it wasn't – It could have been. You, you didn't – you didn't yeah. know, no. No, I, yeah. no, I didn't. But we kind of – so – so that was kind of, uh, I, you know, just put that call and he said, yeah, should we go and have a beer? So we went and had a, had a chat and a beer. 
And in those days, without going to ancient history, but effectively what was the Weber Group became Gold and Harris. So it was a very tech-led, tech-heavy firm. And that was kind of my area. But we knew we needed to boost up consumer. And so individually, if I'd just taken it on a loan, I probably wouldn't have been able to do what we need to do in consumer. And if Matt had taken it on a loan, he wouldn't have necessarily been able to do what we needed to do in in tech. Right. So we it both individually declined and then said, but we've got another solution for you. Okay. We'll do it together. And I think they were just, you know, fairly desperate and, and thought <laughs> we'll give these guys a kind of go. So Harris Diamond came around and, and kind of blessed the deal. And I think, you know, in, in the nicest possible, <laughs> nicest possible way, I think it was kind of like, you know, if this doesn't work out, well, we'll have to take more drastic measures. So, uh, and well, you it did work Jack, out. I mean, I, I, I but, but you mean who knows? I mean, I think where just talk, I was going to comment on it later, but just talk, where was Golan at the time? Well, it, it was it would kind of lost its it's it's it, 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 in London that is not not yeah. globally, but in London it was it was kind of seen as you know a a lighter version of of Weber Shandwick of you know and and, and it so hadn't really got an identity a, a con, and it was kind of struggling shop, maybe a bit more than that but, but yeah, getting to that stage kind of yeah. um, and so it but just it, didn't have an identity and but, that they, was but they had a problem though didn't you because you can't have Golin the, the the global PR firm without a decent office in London so that you know they they needed you to sort that problem out didn't they well they needed someone it just yeah. so happened well, that Matt yeah. and I yeah. <laughs> were there and yeah, yeah. and that was it but yeah I mean that certainly is a you know like you say London's a major hub market and, and for all those reasons, they needed help. But, but um, you had a bit of pressure, is what it was kind of going to kind of come to. It was um, they needed you to, to turn it around. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, the, the, what they did do, and again, this is you know what Fred Cook, uh, who was you know our boss then, um, was very good at was was giving us the headspace. Right. Like he allowed us to do things that that ordinarily we shouldn't have done. So, for example, our website in in the uk was vastly different from the rest of the global website and we're like you know it was totally different i think we were inspired by mother and various other sites it kind of changed it changed with the seasons way back when Mm. um but he he, gave you a bit of space he gave us he gave us a lot of space a lot of room and i think that was probably one of the lessons that i learned in that you know from that experience he gave us a lot of latitude to do what was necessary but it's quite interesting because he may not have known at the time but by giving you that space there were quite a few things that you seem to apply in the UK that almost seemed to be, then then go back to 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 go to another sort of global or US level. Um, yeah, if he hadn't have given you that space, that that wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, look, I, th- I think um, you know we we did a, we did a lot of things in in London that um, you know turned out well and that yeah. got replicated back in in the US and yeah. uh, and that was great and um, yeah. And and that continues to be the case. I mean, if yeah. you look at what Bibby has has done with the return ship and Golan B and B and all those things, you know, I, I love the fact that London is is that hub of innovation, not just for our industry, hopefully for our firm. And and you know, I, I get psyched by that. It stuff. takes confidence, I suppose, doesn't it? You've got a it's a, a vital ingredient of that type of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I think it's just also it's a sign that you know that, that you're doing good stuff, that you're innovating, okay. and that's what. This business is all about. Right. Leads nicely on to the next question, actually. So, I mean, the growth of Golan yeah. in London is, is quite, it's impressive, isn't it? It's gone, quite often PR firms grow for a couple of years uh, and they yeah. go through a, a, you know, a, a burst of these things. 
but it's kept going, going in London, isn't it? I mean, correct me with these numbers if I've got them wrong, but, you know, they're circa numbers, listeners. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't test us on these. But let's say tw- about 20, 26, 25 people yeah. in 2005, yeah. about 110 in 2010, something like that, and about 200 today. Yeah. You know, that is a trend over, you know, a 10-year period so that, you know, the business has, has, has grown fourfold on the face of it. Um, how, how does a business or an agency business, I should say, go, go on such a prolonged period of growth? Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, not all of that is organic. So there's been acquisitions in there. So, um, so Virgo being the, the biggest. I yeah, suppose. I mean, and Brooklyn Brothers in London okay. and, and then uh, Fuse before that. But, right. you know, if you were to, to boil it down and all agencies go through cycles, right? You know, you get um, you hit a purple patch, you get a dream team on board, you can't fail to win everything you can almost turn up for. And then you kind of have to innovate and change. The market catches up. And so it just happens and that, that cycles. Yeah. But I think uh, above all, the key is um, keep innovating. Don't stand still. Um, you know, Al Golan, um, who uh, passed away a couple of years ago, had this phrase, which was fix it before it breaks. And that was yeah. – I have this on my, um, uh, on my, a big, on my wall. Um, and that sticks with me. Like don't, don't wait fix it and get on with it. So, so within Golan, we have this constant... That. Is the suggestion behind that, that, you, that deep down, even when things are flung, you kind of know something's not quite right? I'm just, I just there's, thinking... There's always, I mean, we live in such a... You know, nothing is ever constant in our industry, yeah. uh, either for our clients, for our staff, for the clients themselves, for the industry, for the trends. It's like a constant flux. So, you know, just when you think you've got it sorted yeah. and, you know, everything's great, you, you know, you get... The media changes, yeah, the talent just, changes. Yeah. The but that's change. also what I love about the industry. Like yeah. you can't be complacent. Yeah. And the day you stop being curious and the day you stop trying to innovate, well, you might as well go home, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that has been at the heart of it. But aside from the innovation, you've got to have the good talent. And so within that, that cycle that you just talked about, there were, you know, key talent hires and then there were key capabilities you know so uh, uh, and they're kind of the same thing right so when you when well, kind you, of so when you hire a talent you're adding to your capability or do, do you mean uh, well the, it, it's kind of it, it's kind of the flow of um it's not necessarily in this order but you you get a client you get talent and then you expand your capabilities so for example you know when matt and i started we we managed to get on to the you know the orange roster um and by all rights really we shouldn't have been on that roster. I mean, you know, we were just starting out. Golan Harris wasn't really a, ne- well, a name. An agency of twenty-six people. Yeah. yeah, and and but like any small kind of agencies with that startup mentality, you just are fearless. Like, what yeah. have you got to lose? Yeah, yeah. And so we threw well, you, everything you, at it. You and Matt don't have never lacked confidence, have you? So you, if you get onto that pitch, you're going to give it a go. Um, you, you know what I mean? It, well, it's. <laughs> It's, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but I mean, but it's easy I to kind of necessarily be kind. <laughs> <laughs> but it's easy sometimes to kind of is to forget that if you don't just take risks, sometimes that you won't win. Yeah. Um, and yes, so that's and, and you can be you sometimes take the safe path. And you kind of regret it. and, and Especially you know. if you're an outsider for a pitch. You know, if you were favourite, yeah. you might play it a bit safer. This is what happened. Then, like we, yeah. we, we blagged our way into the orange pitch. We were so hungry. We, we turned over every single possible stone to get to know their business. I think we won it and we were allowed to, uh, able to 
hire some great talent, which was Bibby. And then we went and I think we then... Um, you got from Red, right? We got from Red, yeah. yeah she was our first which big hire. Still a great agency, but at that time was an absolute she, yeah, they consumer were the, machine in London. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Consumer machine, award-winning, yeah. left, right and centre. And we, we tie, enticed her away. And that then was the start of building up our consumer uh, business. Then, yeah, because uh, I mean, I keep, but the at that time, uh, it's, we, it's interesting to think back. Golan was a kind of a tech. Well, it was. Well, it was. Yeah, I mean, corporate's a bit of a, a, a it can mean all sorts of different things. It, we were never public affairs under corporate, but you were kind of a serious-ish corporate. Well, you had the, the original Golan Harris brand in London, which was bought by Shandwick by Chadlington, and that was a kind of corporate entity with some consumer work primarily and then the Weber group was what was when Weber and Shandwick merged the Weber group was put into Golan Harris to give that brand more oomph and and like you said the bulk of that was was tech so building out and strengthening that consumer base was a a key imperative. So so I had always assumed that that was an absolute um, strategic move uh, and it may have been, but actually, it came from you winning Orange, which which led to you winning, uh, to, which, which which led to you hiring Bibby, yeah. which led to you building up a, 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 a broader consumer offer. Yeah. But you know, the, one thing followed another, followed another, followed another. If you, if you see, yeah. It, and I I, th- I think it's the the story of agencies yeah. all, all over the land, right? You, yeah. you 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 go after a piece of business, you're so hungry for it, you win it. That that allows you to bring on new talent, which allows you to do something else. I mean. Yeah. You know, in those early days, we blagged our way onto the orange list. I, I, I was talking to Bibby as well. We we blagged our way. Matt managed to get us onto the Unilever roster 24 hours before the pitch. I mean, he just <laughs> they just thought, well, if you can do it within 24 hours, mate. Good luck to you. And we got on the roster. And, that, you know, but it's just that, again, it was that right. fearlessness and that hustle and that entrepreneurial zeal that you're like, damn it, we'll, we'll do this. Yeah. And I think that's, as you it's grow and get scale, if you can keep that, yeah. freshness and that hunger at scale that's when you you know you're you're on the money it's interesting that you you obviously had that at that time maybe you still do i don't know but none of you uh, to, well, quite often you get that in that entrepreneurial spirit in in agencies where the key players within the business at the time have a, have a stake or own it yeah um and you obviously i don't know you might have a few share options whatever that's but, but you know what i mean you didn't it wasn't your business yeah but at the same time you're obviously absolutely um passionately entwined with with the success of the business to to, to give it that much that much motivation well I th- matt and i used to say that um that we acted as if we did own yeah, it because exactly. and i think this was our, our you know our first first big test i mean we both stepped out of you know, at that time was either the largest or the number two agency. It kind of yo-yoed at the time, um, you know, agency in the world to come to at that stage in London, a, a, a relatively, you know, um, uh, unknown brand in that sense. You know, it wasn't um, yeah. uh, uh, up there. Um, so <laughs> our destinies were pretty closely so entwined. It, fi- it wasn't so much the financial incentive. It was like, Shit, we better. Yeah, we better. We've got something yourself. to do here. We've yeah. got to prove ourselves here, yeah. and we knew that. And yeah. I remember speaking to Matt about this. We knew there would be two routes here. For either your, for your careers, yeah. You either we would, we were going to, regardless, we were going to throw our hearts and minds and whole selves into this, and it would be a spectacular failure in which we would bomb, and we would probably learn a load, and we would dine out on just all the dreadful mistakes we made, and so on and yeah. so forth. Or it would be successful and that would be a great story but yeah. we were determined it was not going to be 
a middle of the road thing. In yeah. fact, we used to have a sign in our office that said mediocrity is a sin. And it was going to be one of those two. We right. just never knew on any given day which way we were trending. But even if it hadn't gone well, there were some some pretty important people who who had seen that you gave it everything, yeah. <laughs> and and maybe almost pulled it off, and and you'd have been all right. Do you know what I mean? So it was um, who knows. Yeah. But either way, you got stories. And to be honest, that yeah. you know, and again, agency owners, small and large, will tell you you learn the most when things don't go your way. Yeah, too true. But there were. I was going to say there was some, some. There must have been some key moments. Um, Away from London now, but Golan yeah. as a as a as a global business has, has grown a lot since um, since that time. Yeah. Um, because it's split. Well, go on. I, I, you, I, just talk me through the split from Golan from Weber Shamwick globally. If I'm right in thinking, um, I, I, because it was it sort of got bought with well, Chadlington and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So just just talk yeah, us well, through that. This is kind of you know a, a part of the the issue. It was. It was part of Shandwick way before Weber Shandwick was even formed way back in the annals. So Al Golan sold his uh, business in the 80s to um, Peter Gumman, uh, now Lord Chadlington. But, but then what I wasn't sure about, did it sort of almost disappear as an as a entity at that point and, and just being part of Shandwick well, or, or was it, it was it something? It, it, it continued to be strong domestically in, in, in the in, US, in the US right. and it had a good affiliate network. Um, particularly, particularly kind of in Asia, um, but in London, uh, and again, my history may be a little bit hazy. It, it, it wasn't as in, strong in, in comparison yeah. with the, the mothership that was Shandwick. I mean, yeah. in those days, Shandwick was the premier um, public relations agency. Um, but then moving forward, so it only really started getting global ambitions again post the Weber Shamwick. Well, yeah. So, uh, so what happened then, uh, you know, there was, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, you had the Weber Group, which was, like I said, predominantly tech. It had a big chunk of palm business. I mean, right. in those days, um, the Miller Shamwick business, which became Weber Shamwick Technology, had a big load of Microsoft um, a business, which was all their mobile computing platform. Um, and so those two couldn't meet. They right. had, you know, they had, they needed separate entities. So, that was part of the motivation to say, you know, we should create another global brand and let's we have this entity called Golden Harris. Why don't we turbocharge that? Why don't we put the Weber Group in London into that, make that a, you know, a formidable second force? And, you know, that's how we'll do things. So that was, I think, the rough strategy. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. I'm, but I'm but with hindsight, that looked in. like a pretty damn good idea, didn't it? I mean, that has worked I'm sure out. Harris Diamond will say, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> in, in, in many ways. And so would, well, uh, so would Colin, so would Andy Polanski. Yeah. yeah. And Fred Cook would say the same, I think. Right. So just talk me through the G4 model, because that was, um, yeah. it was just before that time, I think, that we first met. But it it always made me chuckle. I just had this, this vision of, of you and Matt dreaming something up. And, 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 and I, I kind of always assumed it was a bit of a positioning bluff. But come on, 10 years on, uh, was it any more than that? No, it's, it's fundamental to uh, to how we operate, <laughs> and, and that's true. And, I know, um, yes. but you're right. I mean, there was there was some skepticism at the time, but we we deliberately decided not to rebrand ourselves. Uh, we knew we were going to drop the Harris part of Golan Harris long before we did, but we yeah. didn't want that to be conflated with the G four model. And and how that came about was again just speaks volumes to. To the Golan culture, but also to Al Golan. Al would be there in every board meeting we would have. He wow. was there in the office, you know, right up until till the last. And and he loved it. He remained curious. And so 
we were having one of these um, meetings. I think we just had dinner. And if you've ever been to, I said lunch, sorry. And it was one of those post-lunch discussions and what have you. And it was, it came about around this idea of, look, if we were to start our agency over again, would it look like it looks now? Because we'd got these 16 levels. Everybody was an account something. We'd got all these bits bolted on the side. It was kind of getting bent out of shape from the original um, entity. And so that was a very simple question. If we started tomorrow, would it look like this? And the answer was no. And then the next question was, well, what would it look like? And, and you know, you've got Al there in the room. This was his baby, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about basically... Um, you know, ripping apart and rebuilding the firm that he's spent his life building. And he was all for it. And again, that fix it before it breaks. Whilst everybody else was saying, you know, what's the f- uh, agency of the future going to look like? We decided that for us, this is what it could look like. And then after that, 12 months of hard work went into that. We spoke to clients, consultants, blah, blah, blah. And then once we decided to do it, we deliberately decided to wait at least another 12 months before we changed the name because this wasn't going to be a marketing exercise. This was not just a piece of fluff. This was root and branch reform, and that's precisely what uh, we did. And after you announced it, did it then evolve again as as the sort of practicalities came to light? Yeah, I mean, it's the the model now is what seven years old, um, and we've just kind of refreshed it in the sense that it's still the same four communities, but is now, it? yeah, so we have our explorers, our creators, um, our connectors and our catalysts. But the skill sets within those have changed. So, you know, our explorers, which um, tended to be more kind of research led, more heavily now in analytics, more heavily into user experience and and digital strategy, because that's the way the the market's gone. But that's what the model gave you. These were four communities of, of, of like minded groups. They weren't themselves job descriptions inside the communities were all those, all those kind of different jobs. So the model can stay right. and can flex as the as the uh, as the market changes. And uh, look, Edelman tried it. Now our big sisters yeah. tried it. You know, it's we did it for us, but, but it seems to there's variations on a theme. Um, and but and now you've just talked to me about you. You sort of shifted, going and shifted it back to sort of PR core. Uh, a month or so back, there's a the picture of, of you at some conference with a I love PR t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just talk me through briefly the thinking behind that. Well, again, it, it comes back to, you know, not being afraid to change or to look at things and see things for, for what they are. So the G4 model, when we did that, was how, how would we... Would we set an agency up like we have it now? The answer was no. So we decided to go and change it. And the similar thing was was happening in, in the way we were marketing ourselves. You know, there was this this view that in order to be attractive to clients, you had to be all things to all people. You had to be vanilla and you just had to create some, you know, new phrase to describe what you did. Yeah. And that was nonsense. All the data and the stuff that was coming into us, for us, and I don't speak for anybody else, for us, was they, they were wanting specialist <laughs> PR agencies, you know, and they wanted specialism. And we were out there saying, you know, yeah. we called ourselves a relevance agency. We were, you know, we had PR, digital content in our core, which the time was right. But when you looked at it, you were like, actually, we can be all those things. Yeah. We don't need to redefine our category. We just need to make sure that public relations has the stature and uh, and the, the smarts to to play 
its role to the fullest. And so let's forget about trying to redefine the category. Let's redefine what we do. So that's why we said that we're proud to be a public relations agency. And the progressive part of that is all about change and innovation. And so we are a progressive agency you know, we uh, in terms of our employment terms, in terms of how we try and do things, and that is who we are. And I think there's, and for us, that was a natural fit. It was what Al had tried to do in all through his career. It wasn't too much of a leap because of all the things we'd done. You mentioned G4, which we did six years ago. You know, that was very much a natural evolution. But it was just, if I'm honest, calling bullshit on a, on the industry that was kind of just. Caught up with trying to to reinvent itself. It's like, look, we can do cool good stuff. That was was making it too complicated. We can do great work and and we should do all those things, analytics, digital content, all that stuff. But you can do that as a public relations firm. You don't need to create something The key, and listen, I've always found when when PR people um, run out of conversation, they either talk about two things. One is trade bodies, or or, or the second might be definition of PR. Do you see what I mean? So it's one of those conversations that can go on and on and on and never really get anywhere, it seems to me. But the the danger is, I think, from your perspective, was that externally anyway, it was seen as a, a regressive step because for some, and it's still something that the, the, the sector struggles with, PR is seen as the, uh, synonymous with, with media relations. Sure. Um, so you, what you just said I think works completely as long as everyone understands the modern de- definition of PR, not the 1980s definition of PR, which is well, I'd, synonymous with, well, with media relations. I'd also but, go, I'd go further than that and say... It only works if we live up to that yeah. and that we actually change the way we think and we bring in different talent. If this is just a bumper sticker yeah. and, a, and, a, and a tagline, then, of course, it's not going to work and we should quite rightly be um, ripped Hammered. for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I know that's not the case. And again, you know, before we went out with that positioning, we spent 12 months building a very progressive data and analytics platform in order to help change the way we actually thought and worked rather than just, oh, here we are, here's our new tagline. Um, and again, you know, that's never easy. And these things are imperfect and you figure it out. But it was for us, like with G4, it was it felt and it is the right thing for us to do. Let's see what everyone else wants to do. And we're not bothered about them. We focused on what's right for us. And you got a new T-shirt out of it. And I did, yeah, I did get a new T-shirt out of it as well. Um, now, you went over to Hong Kong. Um, which, as a as a Brit, must be. I always think that must be fun, um, and I bet it was. Was it? How did the opportunity come about? Uh, I thought Matt was going to go. If I'm honest, <laughs> it was did, one of the. <laughs> did Matt think Matt was going to go? <laughs> I'm not sure. It was kind of. It was. We were in that. So you, you touched on. We'd kind of. You know, we had a few other jobs within that time, and, and we were running our international um, networks. Everything kind of outside of North America and. Matt was covering parts of Asia and I was covering some parts of Asia and what have you. Um, the, the shortened version was we, we had some issues in, in the network out there and, you know, you can't run Asia successfully from London. Um, and so we decided, you know, we said, look, one of us was going to have to go. And, uh, and we, I was on the call at 3 a.m. in the morning dealing with a particular issue and, and I was on the phone with Fred. And I said to him, like, Fred, it's just, you know what, we've just got to bite the bullet and one of us has got to go out there. So it was rage. It was kind of, it, it wasn't a... It wasn't rage, it was just realisation. Okay. It was, I think rage was a bit, 
at 3 a.m. in the morning, I wasn't what raging. I was <laughs> far from raging. I think I might be. It was like, I think my wife was probably raging. <laughs> you know, she could hear the whole thing echoing through the house. And I think we had like a, a, a young child at the time. Um, and so I said, look, we just got to bite the bullet. And, you know, once we go and, one of us should go. And Fred said, look, you know, don't make offers, you know, you can't live up to. Anyway, so I walk upstairs and, and you know, I, I just mentioned my wife was kind of like, what the hell is going on? Everyone can hear you. And I just made, made a comment. I said, I don't, don't suppose you fancy moving to Asia, do you? Expecting, you know, a wall of, you know, are you crazy? And she went, you're all right then. Literally like that, like that. And so I had a chat with Matt. Matt couldn't do it for various other reasons and, and what have you. So th- that was it. But I'd kind of... You know, Matt, you know, and he is a big city kind of guy. You know, he loves to get his honeymoon in Tokyo. He's living in New York and he's that kind of guy. So I assumed that would, that would be yeah, um, Hong, Hong Kong's is, Yeah, exactly. Hong Kong's a city. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. And, and, you know, I, I come t- to love Hong Kong, Hong Kong yeah. and uh, it's a fabulous city and the whole region is amazing. So I, I got the impression sort of, I don't know, Facebook or LinkedIn or something while you were over there, you, you seem to be having a lovely time. Well, again, you don't believe everything you see in the <laughs> that's, just, that's one of those things. But it, okay. it was, uh, you know, it, you know, the, the reason um, that, you know, came about as well is, you know, I just figured that what I enjoy most is is, is, is kind of building things and, and, okay. and, and making that, that change. And, you know, the London office, as you touched on, was really on a high. It was really strong, great leadership, great talent. You know, Charlie Coney is our creative director and, and lots of you know, great talent, and then Matt was there as well. So it, that was all good. So it was maybe it was the right time for me to kind of try something different and right. to go to an, a totally different part of the world yeah. where you don't speak the language, you don't understand all those kind of nuances. I thought that would be, you know, quite an interesting ride again. And again, like the original goal, I was either going to have a great time yeah, or right. it was going to be a disaster and, you know, either way, they'll probably have some stories and, and in, to tell. in broad terms, it worked? I mean, you bought a few things over there. You, I guess yeah. you, you did what you were you, you were brought in to do, which was expand yeah. the network. Yeah, align and expand the network. I mean, right. in those days, uh, so when I went out there, we kind of had a group of offices which were kind of like a loose confederation, yeah. all doing slightly different things. They weren't really a network. Um, and so that was what I was able to do was kind of bring them together as a network. Which is something you hadn't done before. You know, you'd worked in a network, but you hadn't bought different yeah. pieces of a network together. So that must be quite and interesting. And also the other side of it, you know, you, you know, Matt and I were in London. We pretty much hired everybody that you knew. That we knew. Yeah, it okay. was very easy for us to to walk yeah. in and say, "Hey, I think we should do this," and everyone would go, "Absolutely," kind of thing. Um, and then I was going to go to Asia where I physically couldn't be in all the markets I needed to be at any one time. Yeah. It was just impossible. So how do, you, how do you manage that? How do you manage through influence as opposed to direct control? And yeah. when you are dealing with very different working styles, you know, India compared to China, compared to Hong Kong and Singapore and Taiwan, all different things. So that was a, a learning curve. And I, hey, I, I learned by making mistakes. I made some howlers. Um, but like I said, that's usually the way you learn fastest and learn and learn best. Um, and you bought a few business over there. Um, yeah, we... Without we, sort of going into deep, details of detail that you yeah. bought Magic. Um, yeah, our business in China just didn't have the scale, so yeah. we scaled it with Magic. 
Um, you bought Low Low Opinion? Was that? Uh, well, Linopinion. No, we didn't buy. Linopinion was our affiliate gotcha. in in India, so we were able to to. But just bring that to but the front. just give us a flavour of. I suppose there's a few different learnings on the or potential learnings that it'd be good to get your your perspective on on when it is that a company like Golden decides to to make an acquisition. Yeah. Like, what, what are the reasons behind that? Yeah. Um, and I suppose a bit about you know having bought a few. Uh, what are the lessons in that acquisition yeah. process? It's always for specialism. You know, you rarely buy um, for scale. Um, okay. uh, even with our just because you have got the scale already to to, to, to a, well, essentially, if you if you have the the fundamental parts in that in that particular business, then with the right talent and the right team, you can grow that business. But if you don't have that business, if you don't have that skill set, it's very difficult to grow. Um, so, you know, um, you, you touched on Virgo. You know, we really, uh, we kind of built out consumer, we built out um, uh, technology, our corporate offering was was fine, but we were nowhere in healthcare. And healthcare was a big business in the States and we couldn't yeah. offer anything here in the UK. And so... It's not like the sort of thing where you can, you can hire a couple of people and see how it No, goes, because, yeah. you know, anyone who wants to do that would do it for themselves and start their own agency or they're in-house on, you know, much higher salaries and, and different packages and, and, you know. So it, it, it's a kind of zero sum. Your only real route there um, is, to, is to acquire. And so that's, you know, that's a specialism route. And we went out and... And, and bought the best agency in the business, and it's and that's what we did. Well, it was Virgo. a big one, right? Uh, Virgo, for, yeah. In, in, in healthcare was a I can't remember how many people it was at the time. It was it must have been sixty, yeah, around fifty, people. sixty people that kind of time, yeah. that, um, that size, yeah. Um, and and that was, I mean, for the outside looking in, and, and you might give me a kick. Should we say there were some challenges after the acquisition? But but you, you would presumably disagree with that. You, you think it from your I remember in the pre-show chat, I sort of suggested that to you, but you said, actually, you kind of expect those sorts of things and actually the business is done as you would expect. Yeah, I mean, businesses continue to evolve. Right. I mean, that, you know, as we said, this in this world we operate in, nothing stands still. The environment changes, the business changes. And I think when you make a partnership, um, you know, or do an acquisition, usually it's, you know, four or five year period yeah. in terms of the, the earner. And a lot can happen. I mean, if I just, you know, think where I was uh, five years ago, a lot happens. So, you know, you you just have to roll with that. And and that's that's life. Um, but what is it, What is as the acquirer, what are you actually looking to get out of the business? There's, there's clearly clients, there's there's client fees, there's people. You know, what, what what's the... Yeah, uh, some... honestly, it's you don't acquire for revenue. Okay, you acquire for the specialism and and the talent, um, the credentials, in essence, to, well, to then go and win. Well, it's business. it's the it's the talent, the people, okay. and the talent. Um, that's really what you hire for. Um, so you and the culture. Right. So you know, if though you need to align those things, so you look for like-minded people who have similar ambitions, who you know who who want to go with you on a, the journey that you're on. Because if you have that, then as I said, as, as life just basically throws stuff at you, you can deal with you it, can deal with it and, and you can deal with it um, as best you can. And, and that's, that's really what you look for. You, you rarely look just for straight revenue or sales. Those things tend to, tend to fall apart um, pretty quickly. Um, okay. um, and, you know, and, and that is... That is what we've done. Our, you know, our Virgo business is really strong now. It's now it's in central London. Um, the founders are no longer with us. They're brilliant people, love them. 
Um, and it's a different business. It's hugely successful. Well, and maybe it's it plugged is. in. It, it allowed you to plug in a, a UK healthcare business to, if nothing else, a, a US healthcare business. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, we've, you know, we uh, appointed Neera Chowdhury, who's our global president of healthcare, and she's in the US and, and with uh, Ondine and her team in, in London. You know, they are becoming a true global hub. And actually, the Virgo New York team are flying. Right. So that's, you know, that's allowed us to really build out that capability, which was always part of that hiring for the strategy and the strategic element, as opposed to just trying to buy some revenue. Because right. I said that really works. Uh, and just, um, I'd always imagined, I had nothing particularly back this up, but buying a business in China can be quite a complicated thing to do. Um, yeah. What, 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 how did that go? It took a long time, um, and uh, it's again, it's it's a very different way of of working and a different style. Um, it it basically took me about two to three years to do that. Wow, kind of deal, and there were lots of stop, start. So stop, there are a lot start. of differences between the, the way the eastern way of working versus the more western yeah. way of working. Is that yeah, and then you add the just the general, um, uh, you know, private company in China dynamic, and it adds a, a, another element to it. And these are, you know, again, I learned so much doing that. But we got to know Magic through our work on Unilever. We, you know, we really, really liked them. We could see there was a. Um, a commonality there. We just need to figure out if we could do this and how we could do that. And, right. you know, I, I think I'm right in saying that was the first time that IPG had bought a private Chinese company. The others had kind of, the China offices had been part of a larger right. kind of acquisition than might have yeah. been a, a UK-based firm or a US-based firm. So there was a lot of kind of learnings in there. And uh, again, that's, you know, you learn by doing, right? And how do you how do you see that? Because uh, when I talk to, I suppose both on the sell side and the buy side, um, it, where do you see that the the PR acquisition market currently? Because you've got the likes of you know WPP who who, who look like they're probably not going to acquire that much for a while in, in the PR space. Is it is it a question you think of of micro micro acquisitions? I'm not not particularly thinking from a Golian perspective because that'd be unfair to ask. But is there yeah. the, is a where do you see the market heading? Well, I, th- I think there's um, the, the, the kind of usually kind of trends, right? There's a period of consolidation, um, and then there's then people break away, form their own agencies, and, and they kind of strive out and you know uh, become fiercely independent. And then three to five years later, they get acquired, and then that whole cycle um, uh, returns. Um, you know, I think you're seeing you know with you know what Omnicom's doing um, in terms of bringing its agencies together. They're looking for efficiencies purely, you know, um, from, primarily from the, from the back office. Ogilvy, probably the, the the biggest one that kind of has gone out there and said, you know, we believe in this. And I think it makes a lot of sense. In the integrated for Ogilvy. Play, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it makes sense for them. Yeah. And I have, you know, uh, if that's, if that's your view of the world, people. yeah, if that's your view of the world, um, have at it. That That's great. I think sometimes when you do, do it purely for... Um, you know, efficiency reasons, and you're not really thinking what is it we're going to offer the the client. What do what is this either consolidation or if you're going to break things up that way? What does it allow us to do that we couldn't do before? If you get that piece right, then I think you're in for it. So I think there's some great agencies out there, and and uh, and you know, we like any smart business is always looking to the future and figuring out okay what. 
who, who's good, who's smart, how might this turn out? Um, and, but we will look for specialism and we'll look for to strengthen some of our, our key markets. I don't have a, a magic list, but, mm. um, but I think there is a, a period of consolidation happening in some of the hold co's. Um, IPG, you know, I think we we're pretty happy with with our strategies and and within that within that kind of the PR businesses, we we seem to be you know making a good good fist of it these days. Okay, um, let's just talk about Algolin because yeah, someone I, I didn't I, I never had the foot uh, was never fortunate enough to meet, but someone you, you you talk very warmly about. Yeah, I mean the thing about Al is you know everybody talks warmly about. I mean he just was was one of those kind of unassuming characters, but just had this sharp view on the world there was always a story you know because he, he's just had such a varied career you think things kind of move fast these days but you know the, where he started as a publicist you know MGM I think it was studios you know looking after the likes of Cary Grant and various other <laughs> things like uh, uh, you know I have a picture of him with Hemingway in, yeah. you know. As you're off to the latest trade show, you <laughs> think, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> all that he saw, you know, he did, the, he did that now legendary cold call to Ray Kroc and the whole McDonald's story. I mean, that's yeah. just, just incredible. He was, he was, I think, the one thing that, that I learned from Al uh, more than ever, I mentioned the kind of fix it before it breaks, and that's very practical things. But um, he was just, he just, he was had such integrity. He was a nice straight down to earth kind of guy always willing to help always smart and just had that integrity and when Matt, Gary and myself became CEO we had an event, it was his um, 60th or 60th anniversary and um, had this kind of event and we'd been promoted and we were very happy with that and we'd kind of been working in the upper echelons of the firm in in kind of many ways for, for quite some time but I remember sitting there uh, and listening to all these people come up and, and celebrate Al and celebrate Golan, but really they're celebrating Al because it was, you know, it was really Al. Um, you know, uh, old board members from McDonald's, the current CEO of McDonald's, wow. Steve Easterbrook was there and, and uh, other partners and, and you name it. And the room was full, you know, two, three hundred people. And, you, and I was just thinking, I, really that's when it struck me. I was like, Jesus, wow, this this isn't our job. This is... This is something else to protect everything that that Al built in this kind of legacy, and to take that forward. And and Al was quite embarrassed by that whole thing. He didn't like a fuss being made, but you know, just seeing him there, seeing all these people talk about what they, what he meant to them, how he'd helped them, and all this kind of stuff was was really humbling. And, and he had such integrity, but he was just always curious. Like he always wanted to know. He's always interested in you what you were doing, how your clients, you know, he still continued to work on McDonald's right up to to the very end. Mm. And that thirst for curiosity, that integrity. And that legacy. Yeah, the legacy just, you know, I think we, we are trying to keep that. We have this modern legacy program where we kind of talk about Al's seven principles and we try and live that because – you, you you can't forget that. You don't want to spend too much time looking backwards, but you want to say, how can you take those principles and apply them moving forward? And that's what we try to do with our modern legacy program. And uh, and that's what I try to do, you know, uh, every day as I work as CEO along with Matt and Gary. Brilliant. John, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network.
If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.